Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I am with Honky. Well, I've already been handed my black shirt, and I'm ready to start throwing the bones. Let's get this thing going. All right, I'm also with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? We've missed you, uh, but I am happy to report that the Mac family is fully installed back in Lincoln, Nebraska. It's good to be home. Go Big Red. At the homeland, all right. I'm also with Boomer. Well, I'm glad to be back here with the Redcasters as we start our summer transition into all World Cup talk all the time. That's right. I'm sure the World Cup segment is going to be really good later on, folks. So just just hold tight that was the for hour two of the Redcast. All right. Um, I'm sure. I mean, hour three is the College World Series segment. So you know, I mean, we got a lot to cover. Uh, even if we don't reach those two topics, I think we probably will fill a full show with a lot of things that have happened in Husker Nation over the last couple of weeks since our last show. As Honky was saying. Um, all things are coming up Husker right now. A lot of good positive vibes, uh, including uh, Husker coaches being out in the state uh, this week, touring around Nebraska and uh, being with their people. Uh, Honky, you want to maybe just give us a rundown of some of the some of the venues and locations these guys have been at, and uh, maybe some of the things we've been hearing. Yeah, I think it was a good opportunity for a lot of these coaches that are new to Nebraska to really get into every nook and cranny of the state, that's for sure, including – you uh, tell me Troy Walters is like, where in the hell am I, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, they've been – I mean, on, on uh, Monday there was Frost and Moose both making it out into the panhandle. They went to yep. Gearing and I think it was Alliance and, I mean, McCook, Imperial, you name it, York. They've been just all over the place. And, and so it's a great opportunity for the, the coaches to get out there. The fans now have been a, had a chance to get in front of the coaches too. And there's been some, some really good questions that have come out of it and some kind of hard questions that uh, it just hasn't been a, an, an easy, fun little sit-back thing. I think some of these coaches, they've had to answer some questions about um, you know, who, who was just talking about – was it DeWitt was talking about – no, Becton was talking about uh, whether or not Florida would have offered uh, uh, Frost oh. – based on if he could bring his entire staff yeah, over there. Like, yeah. I don't know where those questions started coming up, but, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they, they were getting into you in addition to, volunteer to the good old-fashioned question. Pretty readily there, Honk. I mean, he was he was saying what I read was that uh, Florida did offer, uh, but the condition was that Frost wouldn't be able to bring his entire staff. I mean, that was a pretty clear quote. Uh, it is interesting how much they've actually um, revealed in, in these very informal um uh, interview sessions. Yep. Yeah. Mac, and, and any other any thoughts on other things you've heard um, on the on the tour? You know, just the overall look of it. It's you know the optics of it is people love that word. You know, but they they are good at getting back out in that side of the state, getting those guys kind of back involved. And you know, Frost being a Western Nebraska ish type person anyway. Well, he totally is. So um, it's nice to get get those people involved and get in front of those people and. And just bring a little unity back to the state. And then it seems more sincere than when Riley went out there and he's like, oh, I found out that um, there's an arch going over the interstate here. Pretty special <laughs> stuff. You know, like that's – that's when you send Frost out there, I feel like he he can talk a little bit more where these people are living, you know. 
Sure. He was out in McCook to, you know, for a long time. I'm surprised they actually didn't go, you know, start him in McCook almost. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, another topic on that was uh, Travis Fisher, Honk. You mentioned he uh, had some, some pretty stern words for his current cornerback uh, roster, right? Yeah, just in general. I think the DBs as a whole, too. He's It's not just coming out there and, and saying all these rah-rah things. He's really challenging these guys both publicly and obviously you can tell he's doing it on the field and in the practice room too or or in the film room uh these guys are going to be challenged by him and and uh and if they can't do it i think they've shown already the ability to go in and bring more guys in and we're going to talk about that here on the show tonight is uh some of the roster updates that have happened and and some of that uh, you know change has happened in that that backfield in the secondary uh and so fisher he's He's definitely – I think he's got a tough job ahead of him, as tough as any assistant coach on the team right now. But specifically, he's he's ready to call out those guys and, and, and challenge them. What I like about it, too, is he's not trying to pump any sunshine at us. Like, we haven't seen Lamar Jackson and these guys play, you know, corner over the last couple of years. So, I mean, he's looking at the problem and seeing the way the rest of us are. I'm like, these guys aren't – these are way more talk guys than they are show guys. And – you know, whereas Riley would kind of defend and talk about how so and so was really coming along, and you know, you know, Fisher's out there going, "No, you're not NFL ready. I don't know what this talk is all about. We've got a long ways to go." And to me, that's that's refreshing. And Lamar, if he's listening, if he wants to be there, he should just you know, you kick your pride to the side and you do the work. And there's a chance that he could still blossom, but but I'm just to my heart, I'm glad I'm hearing these things from the coaches that way I know that they're seeing these problems too so when they start telling us what we can expect you know those are drawing off of these real things that I also already agree with I can kind of believe where they're going with the direction and everything so when they're bringing in bodies you know that that message is pretty clear you know we've got another 6-3 guy on the roster now who can play cornerback you know so it's it's they're sure. not messing around <clears throat> yeah I think that's it's uh you know if Lamar Jackson is feeling the heat on this one. Uh, talking about underperforming uh, guys on the roster, guys like uh, Eric Lee or Avery Anderson, where all the potential in the world seems like, but have not really shown up on the field yet. Uh, Honky, why don't we go ahead and do that mailbag uh, question and then uh, dive into some of this uh, uh, roster movement? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Scott Dace on Twitter, he asked us, could you give us a rundown of the latest additions to the team? And so uh, this is kind of going to be just a, a quick rundown of everything that's happened over the last three weeks since we've last recorded. Uh, but uh, last week was obviously a, a busy week with, with verbal commits. We got five since uh, last Friday. and or two uh, Was that last Friday or the Friday before that? Two Fridays ago, yeah. I guess now. Um, yep. But uh, we have defensive back Will Jackson. Uh, who's a JUCO, and he is a two, uh, and he has immediate playtime yep. right now. So he's JUCO ready to, ready to go. He's he's counting against the eighty five for the season, as is a two year graduate transfer defensive lineman Faha Vanuku from nice. from Utah. Thank Good you job. very much. Uh, we also got two thousand nineteen. Practice that, Hawks? That's impressive. Well, you know, I mean, I'm I'm very good on my Samoan, I guess. Um, <laughs> we have verbal commitment from JUCO offensive lineman Desmond Bland from. Arizona Western he'll be here in in December and he has a couple of seasons yeah. and what's interesting about him is that they basically 
I think he was listed on one service as being a tackle, but they're basically saying he's a, he's a center and he could be like the center starting for us in 2019. I think that's the at least building towards that. And so when Frost has made some statements about how 2019 is the season that they really think this thing could start to kick off, um, that's a guy that could play a big role in it. He could be, he'll be here for the entire off season. Also, obviously, from your neck of the woods, Dave, quarterback Luke McCaffrey. We've got the quarterback now of the of the class. And something that we right. talked about a little bit earlier on a previous show, Mac, was that the way that this quarterback recruiting is shaping up, uh, Martinez obviously is, is the big recruit for this year. But that next recruit, the, the thing that's nice about McCaffrey, if he, if he, let's say for whatever reason, doesn't pan out as a quarterback, if he didn't, he's an athlete that can fall into a lot of different roles. And, you know, they're, they're always going to be recruiting the next quarterback. So we'll find out with McCaffrey. I mean, he might be a – might be a great one of that, or he might be someone like his brothers that could fill into a lot of different spots. Um, on top of that, uh, Jackson Hanna was a was a linebacker from Tennessee, kind of a unique player for us that we don't yeah. get a lot of players from that area and, and definitely went straight up against the SEC footprint to get him, including Alabama. And so that was kind of a, a, a nice surprise there. But those are all guys that, that have just joined the team here in the last last couple weeks and – we are currently at 85 scholarships. Uh, there was some talk yesterday, and, and I don't know where this is going with, but Inglehart, Ingle from Norfolk, uh, there was talk that he at least has taken a little bit of sabbatical from yeah. the team. He may or may not be back, but right now they're at 85, and I still imagine there will be a little bit of attrition. I just don't know who. You know, the other thing that you were talking about, Building for year number two, building for 2019, that's center. But if you look at the guys that we got, the defensive back, Will Jackson, immediate eligibility, but he's got two years. You know, that Vaha Vanuku, immediate eligibility, but he's got two years. So, like, if they get a playtime this year, that 2019, we are prepped a lot better. And that's the case with a lot of our Chucos, with immediate playtime and then still yet another year next year so that we have quite a bit of firepower in place that we didn't have just a month or a coach ago, I should say. You know, it still blows my mind when I think about the fact that they weren't going to recruit a court or running back this year. It blows my mind. Like we were that gonna Ry- come back with that stable <laughs> of running backs that we had. That Riley wasn't if Riley had stayed in yeah, Riley they, wasn't. They yeah, didn't see that. We're, just, we're so, fine. We're fine. So let me <laughs> So let, let me uh uh, maybe uh, Boomer, maybe you can jump in here a little bit if you could do a, some quick research and, uh, and look at the um, the scholarships by class. I know that's out there somewhere, but to to Max's point about some of these these JUCO guys and grad transfers is that um, even though we're gonna you know probably sign another class of twenty five plus coming up in twenty nineteen here. Uh, it is important for for the balance of the roster to bring some of these guys in that are juniors or seniors um, because you can't have everything backloaded essentially. And um, these guys could have immediate playing time. It is a little bit interesting. Some of these guys, I mean, Will Jackson is a guy who he's immediately eligible. I I don't know the story behind that. I mean, you look at his numbers, like 6'3", 190, runs a 4'5". I mean, why is this this guy not... Uh, was more highly um, regarded, or maybe he somehow was able to graduate sooner than expected, and he came eligible. I don't know the whole story there, and they're not really telling you that, but we have him. And same thing with the guy from Utah. He, he has an interesting story. He's 25, mission trip, had a, a foot injury, 
Um, you know, so lots of interesting stuff there. But if those guys pan out to any degree as contributors, it's it's worth it to balance the the roster, don't you think, guys? Well, this staff definitely looks like a team or like a staff that's willing to take some chances on some guys. You know, maybe you know, like this last staff played it real safe with our character guys. We had a lot of high character guys. This staff is kind of dancing the line. You can see him do it with Maurice Washington. You know, he's going to have eligibility yep. issues. You know, this. Uh, I think Will Jackson's had sort of an interesting road in college. Uh, this Vaha kid, you know, he's not exactly. None of these guys are traditional. You know, the way they're getting them, and they're kind of right. finding them through these back doors. So, some of that's on on Held's you know association with the JUCO ranks, so he knows what rocks to kick. You know, to find these guys, but uh, I find it really interesting how they're going about trying to build this roster with immediate help. So that might be our nook, our niche. Yeah, and I think that I mean Scott Frost, his experience as a player, he was on a roster in the mid '90s with a bunch of these guys too, and he knows, you know, just because they didn't have the easiest path um, to eligibility, eligibility. I swear I cannot say that word on on the podcast. Um, Right, is that it doesn't mean that they're they're not guys that that can't contribute and actually ultimately you know be be you know students as well. So, um, Boomer, you have any luck? Uh, yeah, what class do you want, Dave? Class position, I got it all for you. Oh, uh, just like I mean, run down from senior. How many seniors do we have right now? Let's see on scholarship. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm not entirely sure how current this chart is, but fifteen seniors on scholarship. 20 juniors, 22 sophomore, 9 redshirt freshmen, 19 freshmen. That sounds about right what I heard, yeah. So 15 seniors, yes. right? Mm-hmm. So there you go. How many sophomores were there, Boomer? Uh, 22. 22. And, and I think that's that's a good point here with not just going out and bringing in 30 true freshmen or, or, or going the, the entire Juco route like Bill Snyder used to do it at – K-State and, and screwing up your numbers that way. I mean, you want to balance the things out the way that, that we're talking about. You also, and this very specifically for 2018, you want to get a full roster. You want 85 guys on that team. You want a, as much immediate depth as you possibly can, and they've been able to do that now through how many JUCOs, whether they are here already during spring ball, the, yeah. the Hannes and the Bells, uh, Williams, uh, now you're bringing in Woodruff. Then you've got guys like Jackson who's coming here late. You have uh, Vanuka as a transfer. I mean, there's just a number of guys, especially a, a couple of key spots where you want for some sure. of that depth. Positions of need. They're yeah. going to see the field. I mean, sure. that's going to help us in 2018 without a doubt. I mean, th- this is not like – I know Frost has made that statement that, you know, watch out in 2019, but that's not to, to throw away 2018. I mean, they're bringing in this depth. And they're working hard to get this roster good, as good as it can possibly be in 2018 this and I, I go back to the Riley years guys and we had these discussions you know go back a year on some of the redcasts I mean we would we would talk about well wait until he gets his guys in here right oh it might you know year three is really kind of like year one for Riley because because of this and because of changing this coach and it's just oh my god that's just such bs that it, it, it's so nice and refreshing to be past that where it's like right now we have coaches that have only been here not even a you know just barely over half a year, and you've got a guy like Fisher sitting there saying, look, if these guys aren't – from what I've seen so far, if, if this isn't up to, to par, then we're going to bring in someone else immediately who's going to do it. Yeah. We're not even going to wait till Akron, <laughs> you know? Yeah, It'd it feels like – uh, oh, Go ahead, Dave, sorry. No, I'm just simply saying from, from a – 
if there's a, a way to write a book on flipping a roster, I mean, these guys probably should be contributing chapters to it right now, you know? I mean, it just feels like it's going to be a completely different team in many ways. Well, the, I'm, I am curious to see what the team chemistry will actually become, you know, kickoff, because they have changed so much, and, you know, presumably they're also yeah. trying to bring in guys that can be leaders, and that can be hard to do, you know, with an established team. The good news, I suppose, is that it didn't look like we had any leadership to begin with, so any of any kind of new leadership is emerging from maybe maybe from some of the current roster. But but I always wonder, like if they get this team to really buy in and believe and play well this year, that really goes a long ways into how they recruit and mold and, and get a get a team to buy into their culture because that's that would be difficult to do. You're bringing in guys clearly brought in to take spots, you know, and then they're and then also kind of like a leader. So I don't know. That'll be. Hopefully, four and six helps. Though, yeah, yeah. Well, let me. You know, I mean, I, I think I, I with some of these uh, interviews, like Tyron Ferguson came up as someone who ha- has that type of leadership, uh, and and it's kind of in your face. And we need more of those guys. We just too many guys are laid back and and too relaxed. And um, it will be interesting to see how that chemistry works. I do think that having all ten coaches here, it does feel like these guys, the coaches. Uh, They've said that they are ahead of where they were at UCF at this time in their tenure. They're over and over again, and I think mm-hmm. they're not just blowing smoke on that one. They really feel like that's a, a, a we're much further along just because they, as a coaching staff, are further along. Yeah, and Dave, you couldn't have hit on it better with the the flipping the roster. As fast as this has happened, it, it's it's this combination of all those JUCOs. We're not even going to get into the Shrine game that's happened in the last couple of years or a couple of weeks, but the the amount of walk-ons that are going to be yeah. coming in here and quality walk-ons, the guys that we saw playing in those in that Shrine game. I mean, this is there, there's about fifty new players that are going to be on this team, uh, and it's it's going to be a range of kids from freshmen all the way through through these these two-year JUCO, you know, That's why grad transfers. It's so hard to predict next year just because of the – it's going to be dramatically different. The roster is going to be dramatically different. Yeah, absolutely. Well, speaking to that, we have uh, some news on the national front with uh, redshirt rules and other um, uh, transfer rules going on here. Just came down today from the NCAA – where and then we've talked about this on this uh, the redcasts uh, earlier about the the opportunity to have a redshirt year preserved even while playing uh, a certain amount of games and that has uh, now come about and um, also some changes to uh, transfer um, opportunities. Boomer, you, maybe you can walk us through those just a little bit and then we'll dive into it. Oh, we certainly can. Uh, do you have a preference where you'd like to begin? The Let's do the redshirting red first. Rules, so. Let's do the redshirt first. All right. Well, the uh, new redshirt rule that we have, um, the traditional way was you had your redshirt until you played a game, and if you played a single game, that pretty much burned your redshirt. Now, you could get a medical redshirt the way it was in the past, but the new rule is now it's going to allow redshirt players to play up to four games in the season so and still you know maintain your full eligibility at that point so that should be an interesting change i know we talked about uh, in prior ca- uh, podcasts we talked about doing something maybe opening it up for bowls or whatnot to allow uh you know freshmen to play in those but now yeah this is going to open up a whole new era of roster strategy what do you do with your freshmen when do you play them do you play them or what do you do with them so this is gonna it yeah this will be it, a fascinating change i think for the sports so so let's i mean it, it, 
Example A with Nebraska next year, let's just throw mm-hmm. it out there, is Adrian Martinez. Correct. Right? Yep. As a true freshman, we can Scott Frost can now insert Adrian Martinez into a game up to four times, and if he decides he's just not ready uh, or Jebio ends up winning it and there's it's a, a clear difference between the two, Adrian Martinez can preserve his red shirt, and that includes – he could play in the bowl game for that matter. Yes, as long he could, yep. Four yeah, just, games or less. Yep, it's right? just four games for the season, so it doesn't, uh, doesn't say anything about bowls or anything like that. So, yeah, it's whatever four games you choose. So, yeah, it'll be interesting so, to see what teams do with this. I mean, do you – you know, put freshmen in right away so he contributes immediately. Do you hold him off to the end of the year and start feeding him for next year? You know, I think Boomer it could yeah. be any of Boomer crazy we, combinations. Hockey, go for it. Yeah, Boomer, we had a trivia question about that on Twitter actually, and right now about three hundred votes on that. We asked, you know, if you were the coach, would you play him right away? Would you wait for injuries? Would you save them for the end of the year or other? And other only got five percent so far, but uh the answer that we've got from the people that did other, they're correct. They said, well, there's there should be no set formula. It should be based on each kid, which, of course. Right. But for the fun of the actual question, 33% so far said you'd play them right away. You know, try to, you know, figure out what you got in your kids. Get them, get them out there right away, and maybe you play them the whole season, or you figure out after four games don't. Some uh, 35% said wait for injuries, uh, which makes sense, too. And then uh, 27% said save them for the end of the year, which gets into the – a, a topic we'll talk about in a little bit with bowl games and obviously guys that are you know by you know bypassing their bowl games but anyway so i mean that's i mean that's what redcasters are thinking so far on that boomer yeah and you know there's also that strategy i think you know teams that are able to stockpile a large amount of freshman talent i mean you save them and wait to play them you know spring them in big games against opponents i mean there could be a lot of a lot of strategy be, involved in this game kind of by game strategy change yeah. to the sport here so yeah, opens up a whole lot of whole lot of issues, and it could keep freshmen fun, more involved during the year too. Like, you know, if you got oh, four yeah. games that you might be able to get to play next year, because you know, you think about some of those bigger guys, like your your interior guys, that might not just have the strength built up at the beginning of the season, though. But by the end of the year, they're kind of gotten their feet under them. They're strong enough to contribute. You know, especially when you're starting to have line deficiencies because of injuries. You know, that gives a, an opportunity there. But I think you're right, Mike. To, Maybe starting at the beginning of the season and see what you got. You know, a quarterback position though is interesting because you could you could play it like almost like a preseason for him, or almost because you know you don't have the freshman team anymore. You could play those four games if you've got some blowout type teams coming up, like in like hopefully like Akron will be in eventually. You know, and let that be sort of the freshman game and let those guys go out there and play. You know, the, the experience might be valuable whether they're ever going to see the field this year or not. Uh, you know, oh, short of that. So, yeah. So, I mean, to, to Boomer's uh, enjoyment, I'm sure we'll be scheduling more uh, Akron so we can make sure we have one of those throwaway games so we can put all the freshmen in, right? Well, I think that's what, <laughs> why we're trying to schedule Kansas, I think, is what that's. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. So. <laughs> well, I, I think it, it is intriguing. I mean, this is, we're just going to have to let it play out, right? But uh, I do think from a strategy standpoint, the end of the season could get really interesting because you could have some big games coming up where suddenly, whether it's injuries or you just need fresh fresh legs or et cetera, you could bring in a, an explosive freshman or a, a, a D lineman who hasn't been worn down yet and suddenly uh, you've got depth someplace where you didn't have the first eight games of the year and um, it, it could change your season potentially. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I think we're, we're only... 
you know, hit the iceberg on that one. It, it could really be interesting. Yeah. I, th- um, I think of like yeah, it, previous seasons that we've had and think about like go, playing uh, Tennessee in the bowl game a year or two ago and we were down to um, Riker Fife at quarterback and right. we could have been playing POB. Or imagine when we played yeah. in the Big, T- Big Ten title game against Wisconsin and got oh, yeah. blown out and we had just lost uh, Baker Steinkuhler to injury and we were playing Cameron Meredith at D tackle because we were still redshirting a young Vincent Valentine, a young Aaron Curry. Now those guys would have been available for those games. It just, it can change a lot of dynamics or, or as you get less depth at certain positions as the season goes on. Now you can actually beef up all of a sudden well, in, in, in one game. Wisconsin's going through some defensive line issues and they might have a freshman. They'll let play four games. A guy from Lincoln Southeast. Oh yeah. yeah. I've heard of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, Boomer. So let's let's tackle the second one, which is also interesting, and that's the transfer rule. Yeah, the NCAA uh, changed the uh, rules of transfer for uh, scholarship athletes. The, again, the prior method was you'd have to get permission from the current school to contact somebody else before you could get a scholarship after transfer, as we're familiar with with uh, you know UCF, and you know we see it all the time with students. But the new rule now is a student will be allowed to tell his program and school that he wants to transfer. And then the school, there will be a national transfer database that they will have to put the student's name on within two business days. So, you know, just try to time your uh, time your uh, <laughs> announcement right there, students, athletes, so just to maximize that, get that speed going. And then once it's in the database, then those students can be contacted by other schools and coaches. So it kind of really opens things up. Uh, the NCAA itself, you know, they're letting this go. Uh, conferences are still going to be allowed to have rules that are more restrictive than this uh, NCAA rule, so we'll have to see what the conferences do, whether they'll you know maintain some sort of rules about you know not being able to transfer within conference or division or who knows what, but we'll see what happens there. But, um, yeah, this is going to also going to change things quite a bit, so it's kind of an interesting change now, tool. Yeah. Unless they're a grad transfer, they still have to sit out a year. Yes, correct. So that doesn't yeah. change. It's just the... They have far more control, and they're not asking for a transfer. They yes. essentially can they're... choose that transfer on their own free will. Exactly. I think yes. both of these rules today, at the very least, both of these rules are, are positive steps in the right direction for the for the student athlete. And that's something that you know we've harped on a lot before. Kind of the wink, wink. The NCA are they really? You know, is it all always about the student athlete or not? But here they're giving more options for, for players to play more with the redshirt rule or now to be able to transfer out. Uh, Dave, you brought up a good point with the – they still have to sit out that year, but even that's kind of – it started Can to kind of change. Can they play four games that year? <laughs> well, but it, it's, it started to change a little bit with um, – you know, now you have guys that can play right away if they transfer, if they meet certain criteria that didn't used to be avail- available. And that's that's still something that needs to be kind of – worked out but like you know some guys have been able to make that transfer and play immediately get get the like Breon Dixon or right Shea Patterson I think you know the mm-hmm. whole thing once the coaches started jumping around like they have been and maybe that's not new or maybe it's just more public but you know it only seems fair to me that the student athletes get a chance to kind of improve their situation if by le- if the coach leaving you know really kind of I know there's rules in place for that kind of stuff too but I don't think it's fair that a student athlete always has these penalties. They have such a clock working against them, where these coaches can just jump around, sure, you know, and then leave somebody saddled with their, you know, with their buyout or something like that. Sure. Well, producer Skip is a big Colorado State fan, and since we last recorded, uh, Patrick O'Brien has transferred to CSU. Now he's going to have to sit out a year, but I could make the argument that he shouldn't have to. 
because the guys that haven't had to sit out a year, they've been able to make that uh, use that argument of you know that they were out of place, and then there was a change of system. They don't fit the system, and that's kind of what POB is. You watch because when he left, when we talked about this, they were very specific about the language they used when he left about not fitting this offense, which was kind of silly because it's what he played in high school. But they all kind of agreed upon that. I bet he, I bet he applies for a waiver. And saying it was the situation where a new coach, just like what Tanner Lee did, to get a year of eligibility back and see. If well, he got yeah. So that's not immediate eligibility, not immediate but eligibility, at least but that's one more like, gives you the, the like what Shea Patterson kind kind of got away with. I, I I'll be curious. I bet. Yeah, I, I think Rams. CSU and, and producer Skip is here would speak. They they have they have uh, a couple of guys on that roster. They feel pretty good about Colin Hill in particular, but they also got another transfer, that uh, uh, Carter Samuels, um, who came from Washington that was going to go to USC, uh, or no, UCLA with Chip Kelly, and he somehow got out of that and went to CSU. I don't know how that story is. But point is, uh, I, I don't know if POB is really angling for playing time this year in Fort Collins, but it, it uh, it's uh, definitely uh, applicable here where it's a similar scenario to the Ole Miss Except, you know, our coach didn't do the things that Hugh Freeze did. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Hugh, Hugh Freeze made him work but out. Maybe, maybe that had a, more to play with the Ole Miss thing than just, you know, the, 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 the fit. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, guys. Uh, anything else on, on football that we want to tackle here? Am I forgetting anything? Well, one other national one. This kind of goes into the redshirt thing. As we talked about how – it could be interesting at the end of the season with the redshirt rule when it gets to bowl games because you're having guys that are now you know bypassing the bowl games because of the pro draft and everything. And that led to a question that we got in the mailbox from Tony Hayek who talked about uh, uh, do we have enough bowl games already? You know, it, you know, when is this thing going to end? And I think that was based on uh, uh, yeah. isn't there something about there's three, three more bowl more games, games that have been yeah. proposed and, mm-hmm. to move us up to what forty three. 43 bowls, so 86 teams would be playing, and this is at the same time that the Pac-12 just announced that they're not going to allow teams to play if they have a, a five and seven record. So if you know if Nebraska, when we made it a couple years ago at five and seven, if we were in the Pac-12, we wouldn't be able yeah. to. So I don't know, just Boomer. I, I'm kind of curious on your thoughts on that because you, you've been big on the the bowl thing, and there's already too many, and now they're announcing three more. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's depressing, but what are you going to do? At least, you know, 65% of teams or so will make bowl games now, so a lot of coaches and athletic directors will get bonuses, so good for them. So that's uh, that's good. It does have a cascading effect, right, yeah. Boomer, in the sense that if you have 86 teams trying to fight to be eligible at 6-6 six and six, and they can't can't get there, you make it more 5-7s, and sevens, but to get to 6-6, six and six, you, you might see teams – down scheduling to get those wins, right? Uh, oh, most likely, yeah. It's already happening. Yeah, it is. Uh, right? It just, it's probably not not good. Now, it's interesting, the three potential bowls that are being added, one of them uh, supposedly will be in Chicago at Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field so we finally places, get a bowl yeah. in the Big Ten footprint outside of, I guess, the Pinstripe Bowl. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's... Well, uh, yeah, I'm. I just not a fan of more expansion. I mean, it's. I'm sure it's for ESPN's benefit or whomever is sponsoring these. It's more of that. I don't know what it proves. I mean, for goodness sakes. I mean, 
after the Popeye's Bahamas Bowl, all the po- you know pageantry of that. I don't know how we could ever top that. I don't know why we need to try to keep adding more. I do like the ones in the you know Big Ten footprints. I'd like to see us push for playoff games or something like that. The Big Ten footprint. So if uh, you know Delaney or anybody's listening to this, that would probably be a more value to the to the conference than another you know matchup in a in Wrigley Field against some you know ACC sixth place team. But that's just me. I don't know. So. I was just going to say the yeah. I was going to say the exact same thing, Boomers. That if, if Chicago can get itself a bowl game, maybe we can get something a northern playoff, you know, type of game. If it could lead to that, that would be the the ideal. Then so it'd but. be hilarious. <laughs> oh, that would be so sweet. Wouldn't it be grand? It's probably going to be in a dome if we do that. It's going to uh-huh. be Indianapolis. There's no need for that. that. Come on, people. You know, Boomer, has that even been? been announced yet i feel like i feel like indianapolis might already be on the list of uh, did they bid for one finally i'll have to they did and i think they see. got it or it's yeah. that's just been rumored but yeah i was surprised that minneapolis didn't but yeah well, arrowheads outside right. they, they could do it in st louis that place is open nobody owns yeah, st louis yeah. that's what uh mm-hmm. mr fisher said st. that's right louis. open for business and it works well, anyway, I, I, the the simple answer is: Is there too many? The question was: Is there too many bulls? The answer is yes. Yeah, Tony, you got us <laughs> off on a tangent here. Um, yeah, bottom but, line: too many bulls. But, whatever. Yes, twenty twenty two, Lucas Oil Stadium in Indy will be uh, having a playoff there you game. Go. Yeah, there you go. So, so we have one in twenty twenty two, guys. But it's indoors it's because, of course, it is. So you know, yeah. it's calling his shot twenty twenty two. Hey, we should book our tickets now. I mean, well, of course. So, will McCaffrey be a senior? Wait, 19. 19-2020. Well, he'd be yeah. a true senior. Yeah. He'd be a true senior. True and because senior. he won't redshirt now, because of the, the, the redshirt rule, he'll play four games yeah. and he'll, he'll realize how good he is and he'll just play. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Redshirt, redcasters, <laughs> get, your, uh, get your tickets now. We're going. <laughs> We're doing a live remote. That's right. That's right. All right, good stuff, guys, good stuff. You know, before we move on to some Nebraska ball, um, I do believe there is some trivia out there that might be red shirt related Boomer, what do you got for us? Trivia time. Well, with all the talk of red shirts and, and the like, uh, I was kind of curious, so I went back and looked. I wonder if you guys can tell me who was the uh, very first known uh, red shirt and where did he play it? So this At is not Nebraska? just Nebraska. This is across across the, the fruited country. plains of modern sport. So, oh god, Red Grange. I, I don't know. That's my guess. That's a, <laughs> it's intriguing because of the term red shirt. I have no idea where yeah, that. Yeah, that was my only guess. That's what I was curious from. about myself. So that's why I looked. And I'm trying to think of why that would have been necessary for somebody initially. I mean, to to Max's point earlier, we don't have a freshman team any, any longer. Back in the day, freshmen were not eligible, uh, f- you know, for a long time, and thus Nebraska had a essentially a freshman or JV team um, in the '80s and whatnot. And so, I'm trying to think of a scenario where you're trying to preserve an extra year. Of, this of is playing a, time. This is a good question. Just like trying to even, without even trying to figure out who the player is or where he's from, is is to even get a time period. Like, I guess to your point there, Dave. I'm thinking like, is this 80s? 
would there have been red shirts earlier than that or would it because you were still having freshman teams and everything all the way through the 70s and the 80s yeah the 80s still had yeah freshmen. yeah so i mean when would you have even needed to start actually red shirting players how far back would that go well let's I mean, I, I, it takes, but what is the fundamental purpose of the red shirt? Can you answer that question? Well, I would always took it as to preserve, to keep four years of eligibility while letting the guy get bigger, stronger. Faster, yeah, to give system. to give a fifth year of eligibility, we, which in that example would be like one of the teams I think of is like the nineteen sixty nine Huskers, where we where we came off of two bad years. We. In 69, we recruited a whole bunch of young guys that were freshmen, the Johnny Rogers and all those guys. But they pretty much, they were sitting out and then played in 70, 71, 72. So I don't know if they redshirted. I think they just, I think they just were, so do you just lose I think they played year? their freshman year on the freshman team. And then they, yeah, they just lost it, that year as a freshman. You just lost it. So nobody so, yeah. ever had any more than three years to play varsity ball. Yeah. And, and wow. actually, th- and, and that's actually a good point. Look up a lot of stats. Look at Johnny Rogers stats. When you compare them to Kenny Bells and the Nate Swifts and stuff, when you compare some of those former players from back in the fifties and sixties and so on, they'd only have like three years of, of stats that huh. would be counted, you know, towards, towards their all time ones. But anyways, back to Boomer's question. This, so Boomer, if I if I said the nineteen, I'm gonna I'll go back to this. I'll say the seventies. Am I in the right decade at least? No. Am I remotely close to the right decade by saying seventies? No. <laughs> I mean, in geologic time, yes. But Mike, I mean, has this entire line of thinking and reasoning been wrong? <laughs> no, I, I like I your think... thinking and reasoning, but it's it's kind of yeah. It, it's it's in, I feel like yeah. I feel like Max uh, Red Grange uh, shot in the dark. I like Red Grange. Red Grange. Actually, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going Red. I'm just going Red Grange because of Red. So Red Grange. Let's uh, go uh, with Red Grange, yeah. Boomer. Or Red Arbok. Hey, it was closer with the with the Red Grange thing, but uh, actually the the from the best I research I can find, the first known redshirt athlete was none other than than uh, Warren Elfson, who was a linebacker for Nebraska back in 1937 when he first started playing. The, uh, All right. For our quality coach Biff Jones, he was a uh, he was halfback. I think he was from Wisner. I think he was. Is a, and he was recruited here to play linebacker. And he he realized he was too small to play linebacker at the time, so he went and asked uh, Coach Jones, "Hey, can I basically sit out this year but practice?" And Biff Jones agreed and gave him just a red practice jersey to wear all year. So and he went on to actually become a three-year starter and a two-time All-American for uh, Nebraska, and even played in our first bowl game in uh, 1940 in the Rose Bowl. And from there, so that's like, where the practice started. It's actually a University of Nebraska-based thing. They just had plain red practice jerseys, allegedly. That's the best I could figure. So, that And that was quoted in uh, several articles that I was able to read. I mean, we wore red jerseys, hey. so how did it distinguish him? <laughs> well, his didn't have a number. So he had <laughs> he had a jersey without a number on it. So it was just a plain red shirt, basically. That's interesting. I've well, never heard that we invented yeah. the red shirt. Well, I'd like to say it was the I mean, 1940. This was on ESPN, so we can't doubt it that. It was the 1941 so. Rose Bowl, I'd like to say. But Correct. having yes, said that, yeah. um, but, so you're basically saying the red shirt, that the concept of the red shirt is formed out of Nebraska, came, yes. came from Nebraska. That's... What the articles have said. So I had no reason to doubt at this point. Why would ESPN lie? The literature indicates. Yeah. Yeah. So that. So the gray shirt came from like some gray team. Is that correct? The gray shirt came from Navy, almost certainly. No, I don't know. 
hockey could pause one second man. i just wanted to clarify boomer your source is an espn article correct right? yes so yeah. i we can link it in the podcast or link it in the twitter feed once uh once this goes out so written by ryan mcgee back in uh, july 10th of 2012 so uh, i did find that quoted in some other stuff too so it's if ryan if McGee's. not true it's a great myth and it might as well be true so let's embrace it so once again you know embrace your past husker fans we contributed a lot wow. to the sport red shirts Absolutely. and kool-aid great y'all. stuff Awesome. Actually, I'm enjoying a fresco tonight, but that's all right. So, we are always leading the way. Uh, so let's let's do some Nebraska ball. Nebraska ball. And we don't need to talk about uh, red shirts uh, in this instance. We can talk about players that are coming back for their senior seasons. Um, as Honky said, all things are coming up, Huskers, and we have. Both James Palmer Jr. and Isaac Copeland back in the fold for the 2018-2019 basketball season. Honky, uh, feeling pretty happy about that? I'm feeling ecstatic right now about it. Uh, I'm going to go over a very quick timeline and think about how you would have felt on April 9th when Kenya Hunter and Jack McVay, they were leaving the program on April 14th when... Uh, commit Xavier Johnson asked and and he was granted his release ended up going to Pitt think about how you were feeling back then at that time Husker fans Nebraska ball fans uh, there was legitimate concern there was talk of should Moose be getting rid of of Miles now right I mean that was that was being discussed since that time period since mid-April we've added guard Deshaun Deshaun Burke from uh, Robert Morris Armand Gates, he was announced as the, the assistant coach. The guy came from Florida via uh, Northwestern. We've added Amir Harris at guard. And as you mentioned, Dave Palmer and Copeland are back. So long story short, that's an amazing amount of very good things happening to Nebraska ball uh, in that time period, just in the last two months. Uh, everything's coming up Huskers. Uh, as as we've now also heard, too, in the ACC Challenge, we're going to be playing Clemson. Um, so we're playing Clemson instead of Boston College a year ago. That's a step up. We're playing Seton Hall instead of St. John's in the uh, the Big East Challenge that we play. That's a step up. I mean, Dave, you and Boomer, you guys you know, know the basketball better than me. But, I mean, I mean, what does that mean for the program right now that we're playing better teams like that, that we're playing Clemson, a Sweet 16 qualifier instead of, obviously, uh, Boston College? Right. No, absolutely. I, I think you, and maybe you haven't mentioned this yet, but Andy Katz uh, and his Power 36 has his 16th in the preseason poll, his poll. Um, he also had like a top 20 or 30 games to watch. And those two games, I believe, were on it actually because he's very high in the Huskers. And he's like, if they're going to actually make noise this year, you got to win those two games. But we ha- have the the schedule getting built here that's going to allow us to have the resume to to make the NCAA tournament with even a, a, a Big Ten win-loss record that's maybe even a little bit more, you know, back to norm compared to last year's outstanding season. So I think it's good. Well, did you guys see the thing about the uh, – there's that stat guy from Michigan State that have been hired by other teams, not just us, but he's specifically there to help – programs schedule the correct way to get their RPI in the right perspective. And I mentioned Clemson, mentioned Seton Hall. Obviously, we're going to be playing USC, Texas Tech, potentially in that KC tournament. Uh, we have Creighton coming here. 
and also I don't know if it's been finalized, actually signed, but there's been enough talk about playing Oklahoma State at that neutral site thing in Sioux Falls that happens. So, I mean, there's a number of those games. And then, Dave, also to your point, the Big Ten, we're going to the 20-game schedule this year. RPI-wise, I mean, you and I had our arguments during the season, but you're absolutely right. At the at the very end of it, we didn't get in, and we didn't get in because the resume wasn't viewed right. So, I mean, that at the very least shouldn't be, if we do the right things next year, that shouldn't be the issue, right? Yeah, I agree. And I think that Oklahoma State game in Sioux Falls, as odd as that sounds, and Boomer, you can uh, go into this on, like, why can't we just have these on campuses, right, and, and play them for, right. in front of fans and students. But it, it's it's this RPI thing, and I mean, this is a much deeper conversation at some point, but the guy from Michigan State probably who is, is helping us actually figure out how to build a resume might have influenced the decision to try to get that game scheduled because it doesn't. The, both teams, Nebraska and Oklahoma State, don't see as much of a negative and at least some positive, whereas when it's a true road game for somebody, uh, there's there's negatives that tied to, to that aspect from both teams. I know that sounds crazy, but, I mean, it's it's the resumes are almost taking over scheduling to such a great degree. Yeah, this is setting up to either be the uh, you know greatest Husker basketball team of all time or possibly the most glorious Nebraska Bully flameout of all time. So we've got... <laughs> I mean, all the pieces are there. You know, everything Miles have said he's needed, you know, or we've said he's needed players coming back, you know, a lot of experience on the roster. You know, everything is there as far as the team goes. Um, and like you said, the schedule's setting up. It looks like you're trying to build a NCAA-worthy resume. Uh, you know, really don't have many other excuses. If we can't do it this year, then, yeah, that's about it, I think. So, But I'm really looking yeah. forward to this basketball season, so it's probably do-or-die time here for Miles. Do you yeah. guys know? Are there, even, go ahead, Hunk. Are there any uh, airlines that fly direct from Stillwater to Sioux Falls? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not know. Uh, I'll, I'll do some research on that in the meantime. You know, yeah, I mean, so. Dave, you're in Denver. You have you obviously have a few more options than most of us, mm-hmm. but I, I just can't imagine that's a real simple fight. But yeah. it might be chartered there for the uh, the, the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking they might just take a charter up there and get into Sioux Falls. Um, anyway, I, I yeah, I, Mac. I don't know if you want to add anything here, but I, I I think at least we've covered our bases on Nebraska basketball. A lot has I happened. I did have a question regarding that. Your uh, fire. So, Hockey brought up Clemson being on the schedule, and then uh, Seton Hall as opposed to St. John's. Now, those just being on the schedule, you still have to win those games for those to really build a resume, right? It doesn't look good, or, or would it look okay to have like a marginal loss against those teams? I mean, in terms of building up RPI, you still have to win those games to make those count or look good. Correct? You've got to win some of them, and that was that was kind of our problem this last year. Yeah, we played some good teams, you know, like Creighton and everyone else like that. But we just didn't win, and we had right. one what Group Five winning against Michigan or whoever it was. We were hanging our entire season's hat on. You know, you win a few of those. You know, even if it's only two or three of those. So it's and, just more about you know, taking swings at big at big boys. Yeah, and hopefully take, take those away. swings and win some of them. You know. That'll help a lot. Maybe don't and, and if we much. eliminate, yeah, and if we eliminate those, you know, three, whatever the heck that bottom feeder RPI team we played this last year was, eliminate right. those, replace it with some quality teams, you know, and it, even if you don't win them all, it helps a lot. So yeah, it's not who you lost to; 
it's it's who you you didn't beat, right? I mean, you can you can go lose that Clemson game, but at least you played them, and uh, and the more opportunities you have, the the better off you are. If you're a, a competitive team, you should win a few of those games, especially neutral site, those type of stuff. Um, we just didn't have enough opportunities last year to build a resume. So it's just more swings. Our hat. Gotcha. More yeah. swings. You're exactly right. Okay. I mean, winning is better than losing. Don't get me wrong, but having more swings is really important if you think you're a competitive team because if you get a few of those wins, it's, you know you got to win games. And if you lose a few of them, that's okay. But if you can prove that you're competitive at a neutral site or on the road, the committee loves that, and that's how that quadrant system whole works, right? Yeah, well, that was that was my understanding with the quadrant system was that they value good wins more than they devalue even a bad loss. And I think Syracuse was an example yeah. of that. Syracuse lost exactly. three or four bad games that they, you know, a team like that shouldn't have lost, but they also had three or four good wins, and that's ultimately what got them in. So, um, as you mentioned, Dave, Andy Katz has number sixteen in his power poll. Uh, Tim Miles has us number, or at least in the top four of his Big Ten poll, as he has said in the last couple weeks. So Miles is, we, we talked about in the football world, the, you know, the football coaches have been very honest and upfront about things. Miles is not doing anything right now to try to, to keep the, uh, the expectations down. He's not doing anything to suppress it. He's right out in front of anyone else saying, hey, we're, we're good. And I, I think that's smart. I think it is. Because and he it, can't play it any other way. Th- there is no excuse right now with this program. And, and I think we've asked this question multiple times probably on Twitter at this point. But there is no excuse with this program going into next season. For us, not we need to dream big. And, and Husker fans right now, Nebraska basketball fans, we're just we've been beaten down so many times over the years that we we look at this next year's team and we go, well, you know, as long as they make the postseason, as long as we can get in, you know, if we can be an 11 seed and get into the NCAA tournament, no, we have. You've got to look at the team that we have coming back right now that has. If you want to go off of recruiting stars, we will have five stars and four stars littered all throughout the starting lineups. We'll have length. We'll have experience. We will have everything you want. I'm looking at this team, and I'm like, if you can't dream up this team to beat, win games in the NCAA tournament, and winning games in the NCAA tournament, Dave, I know you'd agree with me on this, it starts with not being a damn 11 seed. It starts with being a, a three, four, or five seed. And this team coming back is as good as any team we've had coming back. I can I can't think of I can't think of anyone else that just blows me away more with with what we have coming back. We to have Roby, to have Copeland, to have to have Palmer. These are three guys that we didn't know that we were going to have two months ago when all that stuff so was blown up. Too. I mean, Roby's got so much. Oh, Roby, and to have a true point guard who's going to be in his fourth year. To have that, to have yeah, a guy we haven't like talked Jordy. about Glenn Watson. <laughs> yeah, to, to have a guy like Jordy, who doesn't even need to be a starter. The guy could be coming off the bench for us, and to have a six eleven big bodied guy. Which there's so many seasons that we haven't even had that player to begin with, and he can come off a bench and just you know be an extra body when you're playing Michigan State and Purdue, and those teams are gonna you know bang with the inside. I just this roster. We need to get behind this roster, and I'm glad Miles is doing it. Yeah. But we need to get behind this. Is that this is a legit team? If Glenn Watson can can master his role as a distributor slash scorer when needed, that was where he struggled with last year. Was just understanding if he can do that, become a facilitator, and then a scoring threat on top of that. 
we will be a very, very difficult team. I mean, that was probably our biggest weakness last year is because he was learning the role that, hey, I've got other guys that can shoot on this team. This is new. Once he figures that out and we have this time to do it, we really will be dangerous. Yeah, I think it almost feels like a continuation of last year's team. Like There's almost no break practically, right? I know that's not yep. completely true, but it just feels like a continuation, and they just need to build on last year's success and, but and meet their expectation of an NCAA tourney bid. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, anything else on uh, Nebraska ball? Excellent. That's you know, good. Uh, while we're randomly attacking uh, other sports, uh, baseball is still out there. Around the Van Horn. Um, and maybe a little bit more on a global NCAA baseball perspective. Nebraska baseball did have uh, some draft picks. Um, Scott Schreiber. Uh, Jesse Wilkening. Wilkening is going to leave um, and, and go pro. Uh, Luis Alvarado. Uh, I might be missing somebody else. but um, And then uh, the recruits that we have, I believe, are all coming in. I think they, that Ursad is pretty excited about a couple of these guys. So that, that's, that's good for Nebraska baseball. Um, there was some interesting talk. You know, the Big Ten, uh, Minnesota was – clear cream of the crop ended up being this year not only winning the regular season but also the Big Ten tournament there in Omaha uh, and we had four Big Ten teams make the NCAA field of 64 Illinois was one of the first four out I believe if I'm not mistaken yes they were um, yep yeah, boomer and uh, we were competitive in in regionals um, uh, Minnesota unfortunately was the only one that actually could win a regional uh, and then they were paired up against uh, Oregon State. Yeah, and they get for their troubles. Was, you know, yeah. yeah, Oregon State's... Well, I mean, Gophers versus Beavers are natural enemies in the wild, yeah. so it was the yeah, <laughs> that, inevitable. That was a great yeah. great matchup of, of mascots, there's no doubt yep. about it. Um, but really what that I'm getting at, too, Minnesota loses to Oregon State. The, the World Series 18 uh, field is, is set. But what was interesting, I feel to me, was a an interview that John Anderson, the Minnesota coach did and he goes back to his premise of having a separate northern league of of college baseball boomer can you actually explain a little bit of what his premise is in general well i'm not super familiar with what he was doing but i think the idea is it's just so hard for you know teams like in the big 10 to compete with you know, teams in the SEC and even in the Pac-12, just as far as, you know, weather-wise and, you know, what you can offer at the time of year when the college baseball season starts, you know, I mean, how, how often do we begin just basically on the road constantly for months on end? Oh, and, every and, year. Yeah, and that's, uh, you can say what you want, but that's a big disadvantage. It's hard to do that when, you know, everybody else gets to play in their home stadiums, they get to, you know, practice outdoors, we're still playing indoor baseball, you know, or practicing until... You know, heck, we get games rained out, you know, for cold in March and things like that when we're starting at home. Sure. Minnesota played years. home games, yeah. like, in a different state this year so they could just get games in, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, and that's the idea, you know, have something kind of separate where we can start a little later or, you know, or, you know, totally different time of year if we wanted. So the yeah. um, Honky and Mac, maybe I'll, I'll ask you this question. If, if it wasn't for the College World Series being in Omaha – and being a Nebraska tradition, would this idea be a tr- a tr- attractive to you? Right? It feels like that's like 
like, we have this instinct of like, no way, because the World Series is what you want to get to, and Nebraska's done it before. We've got there three times. Uh, but if that wasn't in our home state, would you feel differently about this proposal? It, it's it's what you just said at the very end of that, Dave, that makes me say no. It The fact that Nebraska has shown that, yeah, we can get there. We can get there three out of, what, four or five years it was. The fact that Creighton showed they could get there in the early 90s. The fact that Oregon State, which I don't know what is defined as a north or south school anymore, but Corvallis seems pretty far north. And, and the fact that they can be so dominant. Washington just made it there for the first time this year. Indiana's been really good and, and has gotten to the uh, to the CWS in recent seasons. And, yeah, Minnesota this year, granted they had some 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 challenges. Don't get me wrong. There's some, some hard – harder things that some of those northern schools have to go through. I don't I don't want to dismiss that. And maybe there are things that the NCAA can do to work around that. I, I don't know. But, no, I mean, I don't see any advantages of any northern school trying to get out of the, you know, the NCAA and, and are separating and trying to do a whole different uh, northern league, so to speak. It, they I just, think it would be really hard to recruit against, too. If you're talking about going down south where you can play a whole bunch of games – Versus coming up north and you're playing a limited amount of games. I think that's a – or however they're planning on doing this, if they're going to start late in the year. I think that, well, I that think makes that's recruiting exact, very difficult. Yeah, Mac, I think that's a really good point. I think if if it was the exact same thing, I think the recruiting wouldn't wouldn't be any better. Right now it's difficult to recruit in the Big Ten, though, right? I mean, the, the SEC Well, if we just kept the Lincoln the boys best. up north, that would, I would take that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's truth. I mean, I, I, I that's a whole other conversation. Uh, but the SEC is a the dominant um, uh, league, and ACC is right behind them. Pac-12 used to be. They've actually fallen a little bit behind from that perspective, but they're still there. Um, but then there's the smaller schools in warm weather that, that do quite well, yeah. whereas the northern schools just the struggle. I, I am one that I, I'm not a big fan of this, actually. I, but if, if you were trying to make the pitch to me, it actually – It'd be one other element, and it would be about recruiting, actually, in the sense that so you push back the schedule for the Northern League uh, teams, this, this completely different league, which means that you're not doing the College World Series, which would just you know bug the heck out of me. But that means you're playing into July, for example, right, or even into August. It's a completely different schedule. Don't even think about how it is today. What would be the recruiting advantage is a- across the board here is if you would go with a wooden bat league mm. because a lot of these guys play college and then when the college season is over they'll go play in like the Cape Cod League which is a wooden bat league in in Cape Cod and uh, they play tons of games but they're, they're high competition um, in a more a professional setting because they're playing with wooden bats opposed to aluminum and I think you could actually try to brand the Northern League if it was a wooden bat league as something that is actually of a, a higher quality of play. Um, and being over the summer, you could say, you know, you're not going to have as much school, all those type of things. It's more focused. Uh, you could actually recruit to that angle, I would say. And it, it could be appeasing, um, appealing to uh, uh, certain types of players that maybe are thinking about, you know, going the minor league route. But, you know, let's, let's go ahead and do this college thing after all. The only, I, only reason I'd ever be interested in it. Yeah. That's a good point. I have a question, though. So then the Southern League teams would then, like, basically essentially camp 
they camp up north to, and they go to Camp uh, like that Cape Cod League to play in a wooden bat series. Is that what you're saying? That's what they do. Well, or I'm not, saying that the the, the players done, the players you know. do. Yeah, yeah. The, it's nothing about like a pitcher from Florida, right? For example, yeah. uh, he finishes off his season. He's a sophomore. He's got one year of eligibility mm-hmm. left. Uh, he will he'll get a, an invite to go and play in a summer league in Cape Cod. And it is uh, a wooden bat league, and it's very high high level. It's it's probably a higher level of competition than what you would get in college, and it's it's more of a professional setting, right? Okay. And so if mm-hmm. you kind of branded this northern league as something like that, where you're like you're, you want to play in the major leagues, right? Well, why don't you go ahead and play with major league rules right now? Uh, and you know what, uh, Minnesota and Kansas City and and Chicago and Detroit all play in cold weather in April on April first, right? They're they're doing that in the major leagues. Well, we're doing that in the Northern League of college baseball, right? And you you know it, it, I think you could try to sell it that way, you know? Yeah. Or yeah. maybe even find a way to partner with MLB teams about this whole kind of thing and try to get them yeah. involved a little more. Yeah, that could yeah yeah make it attractive too. And yeah. now I would ar- ar- argue that you could do that for all of college baseball. It doesn't just need to be a Northern mm-hmm. League yeah. thing. You could actually push the College World Series back a month. Or six, you know, play that in in July, and um, have everybody do the same thing, right? But yeah, I, I'm I'm more in favor of, of the very end of it is is keeping it all together, yeah. it, one in CA. But but if it requires moving the CWS back, I mean, my goodness, the CWS used to be late May back in just twenty twenty five years ago. And now it's you know late June. I mean, it's already been pushed back, and I have no problem with pushing it back further. As far as Nebraska goes, you know, what would be in our best interest, I definitely would want to continue. We, we have the facilities. Money has been put into it. Um, yeah, I'd like to keep us you – know, I'd like, more importantly for Nebraska, keeping Alec Bohm from going from Omaha Roncalli to Wichita State, which I don't really consider a southern team. But, you know, the guy that Absolutely. goes third in the MLB draft, I want, I want us keeping those guys. I think that's going to keep us competitive. But at, at the end of the day, the – I think the thing that the the northern schools it, it is hard to get a good start to the season when you're starting so early. What February is it? What, what I mean, when Correct. does mm-hmm. college? But you know, Usually I don't know that college February. And, and 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 pro baseball starts in early April. Is that right? Yeah, the uh, yeah opening day major league is the first week of April. First right. week of I mean, April. Technically, I mean, sometimes it's late the last few days of March, but yeah. I mean, I. I how many other college sports are so start so much earlier have such a different schedule than the pro uh, version of it? I mean, that's yeah, it's only done because of the semester there. I mean, let's yeah, face and to it, your right? point I mean, too, Dave, is that you can make the argument because in baseball you play so many games, you can make the argument that it's more of a summer sport. You'd want to play it during a time when you're not having uh, scholastics going along with it. And the other thing I'd want to do with the NCAA is. And this is a whole nother wormhole to go down, but my gosh, the, the scholarship limits are just ridiculously stupid. Oh, Eleven point seven is just ridiculous. Always been interesting to me because the MLB has such a farm system already developed. You know, there's so many different ways to get to the league. College baseball is just—it's kind of fascinating that it's even survived in some well, ways. Well, okay. So, question to you guys: You guys are baseball kind of historians here. How do you, how has college baseball over the last 20 to 25 years the time period i've been listening or paying attention to where facilities have gotten better coaching has gotten better has that reflected in the draft are there more college guys getting drafted not just high but just 
even depth wise, is it is it a is it more um, is is it a better thing for a kid to go into the college game now instead of trying to do the the Butte Montana route for the you know age sure. eighteen to twenty two? I mean, what what's the best way to get to the major league across the board? Well, I don't know about the best way to get to the major leagues, but the short answer to is college better than it was a better option than it was before. The answer, I think, is clearly yes. There is better coaching and better facilities. Um, and, I mean, it's always been the, the pitching usually has one of been the, the downfalls of college, and that's, that's definitely been improved over time. I think, actually, this year the first five draft picks were all college. I think, and I think so. that was the yeah. first time that's happened mm-hmm. maybe ever. Um, So there's an indication right there that it's actually gotten better. And MLB has expressed interest on investing in college baseball in different ways. I think we talked about this a while back, too. So I do think it's a lot better. Um, It's still still a challenge because of of the money that's in play with uh, minor league contracts, etc. But I think it's a lot better. Yeah. Okay. Cool. All right, guys. Um, anything else? We just tackled three major Nebraska sports right there. That's good stuff. Oh, hockey! Hey, you can't every- get a uh, American Airlines flight from Stillwater to uh, Sioux Falls, but you do have to change planes in Dallas and Chicago. So I just wanted to give you that heads up. So. <laughs> oh my gosh! What, what is Stillwater's uh, road trip? <laughs> what is Stillwater's airport like? I. I mean, I guess I might I, be you know, in, a gra- in a cornfield somewhere. You got to wait for the crop duster to take off before you can. The American Airlines flight does, but yeah, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I li- like I, like Grand Island. I would plus, side, the lines are probably I short, live in the, so maybe it's not a bad airport to fly yeah, in and out of. I, I live just know. south of the major metro that is Lincoln and our four gate airport, so I shouldn't make fun of any other <laughs> airport. But I just can't imagine yeah. Stillwaters is is. Uh, Anything flying? Well, a lot, I can't imagine whatever. Sioux Falls being that great either. But that's that's actually Sioux Falls. I I don't know why I know this, but they have like fourteen <laughs> gates or something. <laughs> I know it's so stupid, but I don't know why I know this. Oh, Lincoln has gate invasion. Yep, hockey's <laughs> I wide knowledge of you know Great Plains regional airports is really showing forth in this podcast today. I like this. I yeah. <laughs> fourteen yeah, gates. Yeah, that's great stuff. We should probably move uh, on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish that were possible. All right. Uh let's go with uh let's go with hockey with this parting shot. Well, as usual, I have a couple and and one of them is uh I want to give a congrats out to local Nebraska uh guy uh Bud Crawford. Obviously, last weekend he I don't even I don't watch boxing. I don't pay much attention to it, but it sounds like he went up a, a level, right? So now he's won another. Yes, he went up a weight belt. class, is what they call it. Yes. So mm-hmm. okay, so you know, Boomer, I know you. Actually, would you explain to Boomer what happened and and now he's got how many belts? Well, he he had a boxing match and he won quite handily. So yeah, no, he's he's <laughs> moved up a weight class. About it. Yeah. <laughs> he moved up a weight class to uh yeah what is it welterweight now or yes yeah correct. and. He looked good. I mean, he's a heck of a boxer, heck of a fighter. He pretty well dominated this guy for most of the match. Uh, this was the gentleman who upset Pacquiao horn. a little while Jim back. Horn. Yeah, the, the horn. And yeah, he had a couple of good starts to the match or the, the the round or the the whole match. But after about round two, it was pretty much all all Crawford the whole fight and ref ended I mean, it. Crawford yeah, Crawford is probably. Go ahead, yes. Mac. What? 
why why could why couldn't he fight Floyd Mayweather? Tell me what are the what are the is there a separation in weight class or what's going on there? No, uh, Mayweather would be a welterweight now too, I think. But Mayweather's not going to fight him, so he no. just won't. Way too he dangerous. Yeah, he's not going to risk he's not going to risk losing because Crawford is no. a guy who possibly could beat Mayweather, and Mayweather's not going to let that happen to tarnish his record. He's mostly retired anyway, so Yo, how old is unless Crawford? he burns through unless he burns through all of his money, which is quite possible for Mayweather, but yeah, he's not gonna <laughs> he's not gonna run that risk. So yeah, how old no is way. how old is Mayweather, Michael? Oh god, I'll have to look that up here. So, Low forties, yeah, I would probably. say. Probably. Yeah. yeah. He yeah, okay, he's born in seventy seven, so Oh, yeah. okay. So oh. He's, he's about forty. Forty one, so yeah, he's yeah. yeah. And then Crawford's yeah. how old? What's his age now? God yeah, I don't have it in front of me again. So, thirties. Darn, uh, darn hot takes. I guess around thirty. Born so in, May- yeah, Mayweather eighty-seven. So he's thirty. Yep. So yeah. So Mayweather. You're gonna let me Mayweather is my. But. Yeah, Mayweather's my age, and I just I just went up a weight class too. Um, <laughs> uh, my other parting shot, <laughs> not to get us too down too far down the boxing route. My other uh, parting shot is today. Uh, Bill Moose announced uh, we have a new golf coach. Uh, Mark Han- uh, Hankins. He he comes from Iowa, where he was an assistant AD of all things. But you know, obviously, I I hope has a golf background. But congratulations to uh, Coach Hankins and uh, new tennis coach as well, Sam Mamie. And he was an associate head coach at Michigan. Both had some some good success at their former places. So, anyways, that's the end of my parting shot. Congrats to the to Mark Hankins and Sam Mamie. Uh, welcome to Husker Nation. I think uh, Honky, the uh, golf coach, was formerly he, he had another role in between, but he was also the Iowa golf coach, and had great success there. So we can ask Iowa Sean next time he's on about Iowa golf. So uh, we'll see if he knows more about Iowa golf than I know about Nebraska golf. There, very good. <laughs> he can't know less. <laughs> I'm certain that's, that's pretty. That's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, I, I know as much about Nebraska right. golf as I do about boxing, as we just learned. So, <laughs> all right, one of the best pound for pound, pound for pound podcasters I know, Mac. What do you got for me? Uh, no real parting shot this week. I, I've been on unpacking, but uh, yeah, no, that's it. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome back, buddy. See? Yo, the sweet science of podcasting right there by yep. Mac. Yeah. Boomer. Well, I'm just glad we got into boxing because I was wearing my uh, Burt Sugar-inspired hat today while we were podcasting, so that's a definite plus. That's who you look and like. I, I, ah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and I would like to apologize to our listeners that we just weren't able to get to the World Cup tonight, so um, please check our Twitter feed. Honky will be breaking down uh, Friday's uh, Egypt versus Uruguay match and giving you some pointers to look for for that, so... Yeah, absolutely. I do have one party shot. And I'm going to, maybe I'll make this a regular installment. If I see a good movie, I'm going to give a party shot. I, Tanya, the Tanya Harding (laughs) story, that movie, fantastic. (laughs) You've got to watch it. It'll change the way you think about her. And one other plug, Cobra Kai. It's a Netflix original. Do not sleep on this. The series is fantastic. Is that the new Karate Kid one? No, it's the new Cobra yeah, Kai. I'll, I'll, I'll second the Cobra Kai series. Yeah, that was that's enjoyable. You know? Mike, Boomer, it just gets better and better. Okay, excellent. So, all right, I, I'm definitely gonna check out the Cobra Kai thing. That sounds great. The the uh, the trailers were phenomenal, so that makes a lot of sense. It's just the um, right amount World of cheese. Wise, just enough. And 80s World Cup nostalgia. Wise, 
uh, the United States was awarded the World Cup with Mexico and Canada in 2026. So, you know, we yeah. have that to look forward to in eight years. Yeah. Um, now, now, if we can only make it, that would be nice. So, yeah. I, the hosts usually get a, a free bid, essentially. Typically, but... Yeah, Mexico will make it anyway, so maybe they'll be nice enough to let us in. Yeah, Yeah, I think we're going to get in. I think that's my sense. We'll see. We'll see. All right, guys. uh, Let's call that a Go Big Red cast, and we'll uh, hopefully be back um, over the summer here with at least a few more episodes before we ramp up the football season come August. So, Go Big Red. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.